0: This is the 167th QuackCast, a review of Supplements Complementary and Alternative Medicine, a.k.a. Scam. This one is called Lyme Testimony. As the saying goes, when you do not have the facts, argue the law. This tried and true approach was successful in New York, where they have a law that was passed protecting those who are, shall we say, creative in treating patients with Lyme and chronic Lyme. The bill protects those from investigation of misconduct, quote, based solely on treatment that is not universally accepted by the medical profession. The major bone of contention has been extended courses of IV antibiotics for chronic Lyme, but there are a wide variety of treatments that may be used by so-called Lyme literate doctors. I was recently asked if I was a Lyme-literate doctor. I think I am, but not in the context that the patient meant it. The number of therapies divorced from reality that are offered to Lyme patients is remarkable. I do not know if chronic Lyme patients have greater use of pseudomedicines than other pseudodiagnoses, but I was impressed by the offerings in a recent review. Quote, More than 30 alternative treatments are identified, which fell into several broad categories. These include oxygen and reactive oxygen therapy, energy and radiation-based therapies, nutritional therapy, chelation and heavy metal therapy, and biologic and pharmacologic therapies ranging from certain medications without recognized therapeutic effects on Borrelia to stem cell transplantation. Review of the medical literature did not substantiate efficacy or, in most cases, any rationale for the advertised treatments. Providers of alternative therapies commonly target patients who believe they have Lyme disease. The efficacy of these unconventional treatments for Lyme disease is not supported by scientific evidence, and in many cases they are potentially harmful. End of quote. So why would a legislature want to abandon consumer protections and protect those providing useless and potentially dangerous therapies eludes me? There is a nice summary in the discussion, which in many ways sums up the entire history of the Science Based Medicine blog and this podcast. Quote, two common themes characterize the websites referenced in this study. One was a reliance on anecdote and testimonials from patients. The second was the veneer of scientific credibility, ranging from the medical credentials of the service providers to the use of seemingly technical terminology. In virtually all cases, these testimonials and scientific expositions were used promotionally to sell therapeutic services and products. Our review of the medical literature did not yield evidence to support these health claims. Welcome to my world, dudes. Sadly, I suspect the above will remain relevant as long as there is an Internet. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The malignant success in New York has inspired others to have similar laws metastasized to other states. They call me Dr. Metaphor for a reason. Oddly, there is no superhero or villain with that name. And here I thought all the good names were taken for comic book characters. Dr. Metaphor. In Oregon, there is a similar bill before the legislature which read, Permit professionals regulated by the boards to diagnose and treat in manners consistent with the standards of care guidelines developed by the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society, Lyme disease and associated viral, bacterial, and parasitic diseases, and Establish disciplinary procedures that consider as a mitigating factor whether In diagnosis or treatment of Lyme disease and associated diseases, a professional who is facing discipline followed evidence based diagnoses and treatment guidelines not recognized by the boards. End of quote. I suspect similar laws will be showing up in your state. As part of the legislative process in Oregon, there are public hearings where anyone can testify for or against a bill. I thought it would be interesting to look at some of the testimony in favor of the bill for insight into the rationalization behind supporting the bill. There was, by the way, but one letter opposing the bill from the Oregon Health Authority. Otherwise, it was all testimony in favor. Of the 58 exhibits, 35 were from patients. They have a similar theme, odd symptoms, a diagnosis of Lyme by one non-standardized test or another, a refusal of Oregon doctors to recognize and treat the patients for Lyme for what are probably nefarious reasons, and occasionally, and only occasionally, some improvement with alternative therapy that was delivered in other states. As an Infectious Disease Society of America sort of doctor, the suffering is compelling, although it is not due to Lyme. The lack of precise information about the testing and the treatment is aggravating, making an assessment of the validity of the patient's stories impossible. I am well aware of the unreliability of patient histories, especially when they have a dog in the fight. Most appear to be patients who have received creative care from the alternative Lyme world. An example, quote, Ashley was taken to the East Coast, where she was examined, tested, and found to have Lyme disease, along with Babesia and erlichiosis. These are three diseases that are almost non-existent in Oregon. Her Lyme doctor was shocked by her absolute classical presentation was ignored by her doctors and specialists. She improved using the Iliad standard of care. This doctor worked with Ashley's PCPs, who could do supportive care in Oregon. Over the next several years, we and our daughter went through a cyclical routine of organ support doctors discontinuing her Iliad's Lyme treatment and telling us residual symptoms were not Lyme. However, the symptoms recurred in positive blood tests, including two positive DNA tests, very unreliable, indicated she was still infected. When we asked the East Coast and California Lyme specialist why was she so difficult to treat, They said because she went nine years without any treatment and the bacteria had penetrated her bone marrow and brain. Ashley stabilized to an almost normal life routine by age 20, but missed having anything resembling a normal childhood in teen years. At this time, she is happily married and has three healthy children. Our family was terribly impacted. Our vacations were often spent traveling to out-of-state doctors. Our children missed out on many normal family activities. We can never get those years back. We spent approximately $185,000 out of pocket. End of quote. That is a lot of money. No wonder the Lyme literate doctors want legislation protection from their treatments. And they say that we are shills. Some of the diagnoses in clinical courses were quite fantastical, although from the spotty information given in the testimony, a true analysis is not possible. It would be interesting to compare the testimony given with the whole medical record, but that is unlikely to occur. Many were diagnosed for Lyme and other diseases using testing that may be suspect. Igenex is a popular but perhaps questionable lab used rather than the standard two-step testing that the CDC recommends. The CDC test, as they tend to call it, has been validated by the gold standard, culture positive patients. So they had a patient who grew out the Lyme bacteria, and then they tested the blood test to see how accurate it was. I cannot find where the Igenex test has been validated. If it is on PubMed, I could not locate it. The closest I could find was a report that, quote, "Igenics was rejected by New York three times for Lyme tests in the past decade for not having enough documentation to prove that the tests work. And, quote, several Lyme laboratories said they stood by their tests, but the process to get the FDA approval was too cumbersome. You need a ton of documentation. Time and money, said Jotsana S. Shaw, vice president of Igenex, a Palo Alto lab that performs more than 25,000 Lyme tests a year for hundreds of dollars each. In contrast, government and academic scientists contend that the Igenex method is highly sensitive but not adequately specific, meaning it probably returns positive readings for many people without Lyme. Sitting in a small conference room in a nondescript building near Stanford University, Shaw said is Tested is backed by solid science and that the company has been open about its methods. She pointed to two papers on its methods, a 2007 paper published in an alternative medicine newsletter and a 2010 paper in a journal that appears to be defunct. Neither publication is widely read or cited by other scientists. End of quote. The patients put a lot of faith in the validity of these alternative tests, despite a lack of rigorous published evaluation. Perhaps it is because it provides the answer they want, motivated reasoning at its finest. The most common of all follies is to believe passionately in the palpably not true. It is the chief occupation of the Lyme literate. H.L. Mencken. Well, no, almost. Reading the testimony made me sad. People suffering, and again, I never deny the suffering of patients, only that the suffering is from Lyme. Being diagnosed with multiple infections by way of unreliable tests, and spending enormous amounts of time and money chasing the chimera of alternative treatments for their mythical illness. More striking is that if the testimonies are correct, it documents medical treatments by Lyme literate doctors that, in my opinion, are truly bizarro by my understanding of infectious diseases. Why such horrible medical care needs protection is understandable, because such care cannot be justified by best medicine and science. Many of the patients noted that Lyme is an under-recognized epidemic. I saw an epidemic of inappropriate tests, testing, and treatment. This was brought home by the opening testimony of the Oregon Lyme Disease Network. They note many times more false Lyme diagnoses than real Lyme diagnoses in Oregon. Quote, Clia-certified laboratory with CDC proficiency ratings reported 166 CDC-positive tests by either Western blot, IgG, or IgM tests for Oregonians in 2014. Currently in Oregon support groups, 817 patients, a combination of clinical diagnosis with supportive laboratory testing. Currently, in support groups or in email connections with SG around the state, 817. While, quote, the state of Oregon cases of selectable notified diseases in 2014 reported a total of 38 probable cases and 21 confirmed in Oregon for that year. It is the kind of Weasley statements that obscure the truth with misdirections. Lots of positive tests by labs that are certified, but they fail to mention if these tests have been validated. In my opinion, there are a staggering number of patients misdiagnosed and mistreated with Lyme disease. The Oregon Lyme Disease Task Force also says MDs, quote, reject Igenix Laboratory telling patients it's a bad lab. Not sure why they said this. Really? You can't discover why MDs might find eugenics questionable. It took me less than five minutes to find why the non-standard Lyme testing cannot be trusted. No MDs testified in favor of the bill. I can see why. If the patient stories are any judge, the doctors who provided the care as mentioned in the patient narratives have reason to worry. I tend to be fairly liberal in patient care, as often the what and how of patient care has uncertainty. But in the cases of these testimonies, they gave me the heebie-jeebies. There was an N.D. who did mention the benefits of the naturopathic practice in Lyme. Quote, I am indeed fortunate that I hold a license as a naturopathic physician and as a consequence have a board that allows me to practice without threat of losing my license if I choose to treat patient diagnosed with Lyme disease. As have been pointed out elsewhere, being a naturopath means never having to say you have standards. So, that was the testimony in favor of the bill. Patient stories of creative diagnosis and treatment and the need for those who provide these treatments to be protected and paid. Some disingenuous cherry picking from the Lyme organizations. A seeming lack of understanding as to why the Iliad's guidelines and alternative testing are suspect and what constitutes good evidence. From my viewpoint, the testimony was a compelling argument for increased investigation into the practice of Lyme literate doctors to protect patients. They did their cause little benefit. There is more information in these testimonials that would make for interesting analyses if I had the time. Despite all the testimony in favor of the bill, or perhaps because of it, the bill was amended and now reads that, quote, shall study clinical guidance regarding Lyme disease and the health outcomes related to the clinical guidelines and shall report findings to the appropriate committees of the Legislative Assembly no later than March 1, 2016. Now, I am a newbie in the legislative arena and had a late start in the 2014-15 legislative session when I started Oregonians for Science-Based Medicine, which is part of the Society for Science-Based Medicine. I hope next season to start earlier and be more comprehensive. That said, Oregon's for Science-Based Medicine sent a letter opposing the bill to the committee, as well as a modified version of my SBM post online. The committee members also received a letter opposing the bill, written and orchestrated by yours truly, signed by 18 Oregon infectious disease doctors. Did these actions have any effect to change the bill? I have no idea, but I'd like to think that it did. For now, the standard for the treatment of Lyme will remain gold rather than the tin of the initial bill. It will not last. I have no doubt that further scam protection bills will be presented in Oregon and to other legislatures in the coming years. You're warned. And that ends the 167th QuackCast. Go to edgydoc.com to find links to my growing multimedia empire of podcasts, blogs, books, apps, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. References for this particular podcast are to be found at Science Based Medicine under the blog entry Lime Testimony on May 15th, 2015. Talk to you next time. Bye.